It's 8pm, Tuesday, May the 14th, 2019, and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Good evening to you all and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme this evening, I am out and about on my culinary travels. First of all, I am just a few miles down the road from the Best Possible Taste studio in the picturesque village of Adair, home to the incredible Adair Manor, award-winning 1826 Adair and its latest edition, the Oak and Apple. During my visit there, I meet Chef Keith Piggott to find out more about what is on offer. After that, I venture further up the country to County Clare to the Burn Slow Food Festival, which took place last weekend. And we will hear from a selection of people that I met during my very quick visit. But before that, if you'd like to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste, and it is always great to hear from you, you can make contact by emailing me s.nunan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So our first guest tonight is Keith Piggott, who spent 15 years working in event management before his love of food led him to pursue a career as a chef. He trained at IT Tralee and while he was there he won the Board Bia Pork Competition and was a runner-up in the NOR Student Chef of the Year. He's worked in some of Ireland's most prestigious restaurants, including the Park in Kenmare, Cregan's Castle in Ballyvaughan and the Global Village in Dingle. He's now returned to his home County and is indulging his passion for using local suppliers in the newly opened Oak and Apple, which is just a stone's throw from the magnificent Adair Manor in the village of Adair. Have I whetted your appetite to hear more? I hope so. Let's have a listen. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Keith, it's great to be here in the latest culinary hotspot in Adair Village, the prettiest village in Ireland. Beautiful decor, fabulous menu. What was the inspiration for Oak and Apple? Um, Well, what we've gone for is this kind of small plate tapas kind of feel. And um, I suppose the inspiration was um, Claire, Claire Staunton, the owner, kind of gave me a clean sheet as to what we wanted to do with the food. And... I love Spanish food, um, I love Spanish style tapas and I love how Spanish food concentrates on provenance and they use local food and that's something I'm really passionate about so we've gone with this small plates concept which is based around as much local and Irish produce as we can and uh, it's it makes the job really really interesting and we're working with great produce and um, it's an exciting time to be a chef in this particular restaurant. You're very passionate about building up relationships with producers. So tell us about some of the producers in the area that you are using their products. Well, um, we have New Leaf Urban Farm. We're getting spinach, leaves, baby turnips, baby beets, artichokes, all manner of veg, but just amazing leaves and amazing spinach from Kevin out there. Um 
it's out in Bellinetti. We kind of regularly go out to the farm. Maybe once every couple of weeks, I'll go out and just touch base with him, see what's coming in, um, and just walk around and marvel at the produce that's on display out there. Um, he's a really, really great guy. Um, we also we'd have microcrest coming in from Gavin with Little Greens Company. Again, another really passionate local producer who, you know, people see microgreens and they think they're a little bit chefy, and you know, but these things give such pops of flavor to our dishes and really add color and texture to dishes and they're what make the small difference from being you know a really good dish to a really great dish we've got fabulous pork sausages coming in from caroline rigney that i think are unbeatable they're the best they're the best in the country um this weekend we had a lovely pork belly special on caroline dropped in the pork belly so i'm going to be using different parts of the pig that caroline's going to supply and I think Caroline is known around the country as one of the best suppliers of pork, but to me, she is the best. Um, and I've used different producers from around the country, but Caroline's stuff just really stands out. I have cheese coming in from Jim O'Brien. I'm using his cheddar. I'm using his gouda. Again, I think his cheddar is just standout. It's really, it's you know, really top class cheese, and it's right on our doorstep. And um, we've got goat's cheese coming in from Belly Quirk. Um, it's delivered in every week and we're using the ghost cheese itself on salads and then we're making our own ricotta with the goat's milk um, and those guys are you know the Flanagans are kind of really new to it but they're producing an absolutely fabulous product um, that's just some of the local producers and, and did I see something in social media there about a goat ragu from Ballam Willen House yeah, Farm in um, Mitchellstown Patrick who is a Limerick man <laughs> based in Cork uh, Patrick is dropping in um, kid goat to us um, so we're using his kid goat on a dish where we kind of roast it down and then break it down into a beautiful kind of tomato ragu and we're serving it with um, velvet cloud yogurt and again more local producers and we've spi- we've got spiced chickpea puree going in with it. it's a beautiful beautiful dish but the actual the actual goat itself is just it's an amazing meat it's funny Irish people get freaked out about the idea of eating a goat for some reason they seem to think it's different to a cow a pig or a sheep but it's the most widely eaten meat in the world and there's a reason it's actually delicious and it's ridiculously healthy for you Um, but it's actually proved to be really popular with customers I think a few of them tried it by accident because they thought they were ordering goat's cheese. Okay. <laughs> but anyone who's ordered it has kind of ordered it again. And, you know, so people really, really like it. We've also, um, we're getting some lovely goat salami and venison salami coming up from Bell and Willen as well. Um, and they're stunning products too. I had a brisola. He brought in a brisola to me last week. And I literally stood in silence for about a minute eating it. It was actually so good. I, I've never tasted anything as charcuterie goes. I've never tasted anything as good as this venison brisola. It was just outstanding. So yeah, his charcuterie is great as well. And we've got charcuterie from Olivier down in Castle Gregory. Um, we go into the market on a Saturday morning and we buy our charcuterie from Olivier. It's just it's actually one of the nice things about working at night. When you were working daytime downstairs in the cafe, you never got a chance to go into the market on a Saturday morning. No, I do, and I can pick up a few bits and pieces. If I see a bit of fish that I like that we could do a special with, or like I said, I get my charcuterie from Olivier. If there's a different cheese floating around in there, we'll take that out with us as well for our cheese board. So it's kind of a it's a nice way of doing things. But there's just so much produce available locally, and I've even heard over the last couple of weeks, I've heard of two new products that I didn't know existed, but that aren't kind of out there. Like there's a guy, a guy 
um, over in our Valley of Grand making a semi-hard ghost cheese that I hadn't heard anything about. Um, so I'm going out to him next week, hopefully, to get that. And So these things are popping up. There's so many producers in Limerick that we just actually don't know about. There's no map. So I think that's something that we need to start working on as chefs and as people in the food communities just to start blowing our trumpet a little bit more about how much is out there. And I think some of the producers can be quite new to this scene. They've been doing something else before, so they're maybe not sales people. That's not their forte. How do you feel about somebody landing in the door with, here's a product that I've oh, started to make? I, Would that, you? That, that's like the dream. That's what, that's what I think chefs love it. Chefs are often too busy to actually go out and find things. We get locked into our kitchens and get locked into a bubble and we don't get a chance to go out and savour things or find things or search for new food. So if someone rocks up to the door with something, then we're going, oh yeah, fantastic, we'll give this a go. So that I'd encourage any producers who are out there who have a product, just rock up to the back door of a kitchen because there's a, there's a market there for you. People want to use your products and chefs will promote your product every time. They, they'll, if, they, if, if you bring something good into them, they will tell everyone about it. And do you use the names on your menu? Would you say it's Ballin, Will and Goat and it's Rigney's Pork? Absolutely. We have um, Rigney's on our menu. We have Ballin, Willen. We have Flaggy Shore Oysters. We have Olivia's Charcuterie. Um, uh, and the diners can see quite yeah, clearly. Yeah, everything, every every dish. If if I suppose it's because we're proud of it. So every dish that has something that's local or that's Irish, we tell you where it's. You know, we'll tell you about it because we're very very proud and very very insistent on using it where we can. I think that's a selling point as well. Yeah, it's a, it, it is. There's a certain percentage of people who that is a big selling point to. Then there's other people who aren't too um, bothered about it, but I think most people who most people who have an interest in food, it's a really, really big thing for them, like, you know. And they love to know the story behind it as well. They love to find out who the producer is. So it's important then that our front of house staff kind of know the story of the producer as well. And that's something we're trying to get it get it's something that we're that kind of knowledge is what we're trying to give to our front of house staff so that they know the names of the producers, they know where they're from, you know, because in a lot of cases, like, producers come in for a chat, like, when they drop stuff off. Some of the chefs here joke about it that I run a counselling service for producers because they come in and they spend half an hour with me. They don't just drop stuff off. We sit down, we chat, and I like to know what's coming from them, and, you know, I like to know what's happening in their lives, too, the same way they'll ask me. It's a real relationship with producers rather than just getting on the phone to someone and asking for... You know, to drop off something. I, I, I want to get to know them. I want to get to know their product because the more I know about their product, the more I know about them, the more I can understand and the better I can cook it. And it sounds very, you know, wishy-washy in one sense, but it isn't. It's actually about knowing that product inside out, knowing the ethos of the person who produces it so that you can stay true to the dish when you put it on a plate and when you cook it. It's really, really important. And I think the food industry, it is like a family in Ireland. Like we we do know so many people and we do know the ins and outs of what's going on in our lives, which is great. Yeah, it's a small community. So it's a really small community. So it's those relationships are really important, you know, and and those relationships are how the community will thrive. Because unless you have that sense of togetherness and unless you're pulling together like a family, you mentioned family and that's what it is. Unless we all pull together like a family, like surely, sure we're all going to have differences and stuff. 
But if we pull together as a family, then the food community has a chance of thriving. If we don't, it simply won't. Um, because there's too many pressures coming on the food community. You know, between supermarkets, you know, offering cut price deals and putting squeezes on producers, between, um, you know, cheap imported ingredients coming into the country, all these things put a squeeze on our own farmers, on our own producers. So it's really important that chefs kind of sing off the same hymn sheet as the farmer and the farmers sing off the same hymn sheet as the chefs and that the the actual wholesalers who are about the food and not just about the margin pull together as well and that we all sing off the same hymn sheet and, you know, create an environment where food actually is celebrated as opposed to food being a side issue or just a fuel for our bodies. You know, it is a fuel for our bodies, but the, mo the more we consume local food and organic food or organic ethos food, the better it is for everyone, you know. And the environment. And, well, the sustainability is a huge kind of buzzword in, in restaurants at the moment, you know, like all our coffee grounds at the moment go to our gardeners, to the lads out in Urban Leaf. Um, all our eggshells go out to them, you know, we're doing our, we're doing our best at this level. And we have so much more to do. Like, we really need to reduce our food waste. We, you know, one of, one of the other reasons I love the small plate um, concept that we're using in the restaurant is because there's so little food waste with it. Because people eat what's on the plate. There isn't too much food on the plate. There isn't too little either. We're quite generous. But there isn't too little, there isn't too much on the plate. And there's very little food waste. And that's something that we're very conscious of. Um, but we have so much work to do in terms of sustainability for restaurants and you know food waste packaging waste this is all stuff that as restaurants we have to tackle and um, as an industry that we have to tackle and there's lots of different initiatives going on but it's you know we've a long way to go just the same as the country like the country has a long way to go in terms of you know improving its economic or its environmental um, performance and and in kind of getting towards sustainability but as a restaurant, we're trying it. But like I say, there's so much that we have to do. I think the small plates tapas concept is great because you it, you can be challenged then to try something new that you haven't tasted before. And also in Adair, we have such an array of great places to eat, be it breakfast, lunch, dinner. So in Adair Manor, we have Michael Tweedy doing amazing things in the Oak Room. The Dunraven does this incredible Sunday lunch. Wade Murphy is also in, is obviously in 1826 Adair. The mustard seed is out the road and then there's the good room downstairs here. So the tapas concept must be something that's very welcome in the village and not only for the locals but the visitors that are coming to stay either in the manor or the Dunraven that maybe want to get out and about, explore the village a bit more and try something different. Yeah, that was definitely part of our kind of, it's part of our reasoning behind going for the small place thing as well it was just to offer something different wade does what he does so well like and the manor do fine dining so well that there was no point trying to try to do what they do and fall short so we decided right well let's do something a little bit different that complements everything else that's going on in the village we're not going into direct competition with anyone what we're trying to do is offer a a complementary kind of service um, and it definitely worked from that point of view and um, people have kind of welcomed it it's you know you can still eat a lot of food and <laughs> um, but you can also just have a lighter meal if you want with a few glasses of wine and it's just it, it fits everyone's kind of 
you know, four people can be sitting at a table and have a completely different kind of meal experience, but a very good experience at the same time. Um, between our charcuterie boards and our cheese board and um, just the different kind of plate options we offer. We also were big into changing the menu as well. So um, kind of once a month we do a kind of overhaul of the menu. Um, and just take out a couple of dishes and add a few new dishes so that people who are kind of repeat customers aren't seeing the same thing all the time. Um, but it definitely it works from a point of view of offering something completely different to every place else in town and gives us, you know, just this is the space we occupy and come in and try it and see what you think of it. I think it's amazing what you've done with the space as well because it's a bit like a TARDIS going in. You think as you're going <laughs> into this teeny tiny and it is intimate and boutique but the decor is fabulous. The exposed brick, the lovely colours, the velvet soft furnishings. Like there's a lot of thought has gone into the detail of, of the environment. Yeah, Claire, um, Claire Staunton is she's an amazing woman. Like when I first saw the good room, I, I remember driving past the good room and thinking, God, that looks like a tiny little place there. And I remember the first day I walked in here for an interview and looking and going, geez, this place is actually huge, like, you know, compared to what it looks like from the outside. And now it's even bigger again. And I think she's really, st- I think she's really stepped up the game, not just in Adair, but in Limerick, with what she's done here. Um, the room is actually beautiful. It's just so incredibly comfortable to sit in daytime or nighttime. I, I love... I love coming into work and spending an hour up here just sitting down doing a little bit of paperwork and a little bit of menu work because it's such a nice space. It's really nice just to sit down and relax and that's one of the things a lot of the customers have commented on that it's actually quite a calming space especially when you have the craziness of the good room downstairs with people queuing for lots of lovely food but uh, there's a real calmness about this space and Tulio, our interior designer um, like he's got such a great touch with colours and palettes and but the, it, I find the room is kind of like the food as well. It's all about textures and it's about colors. And, it's, you know, it has that, you know, when I do a plate, I'm looking at color, I'm looking at flavor, I'm looking at textures. And that's almost what the room represents as well. There's just so many textures and so many colors and they all fit together. And it just all works. It's really, really, it's a great space to work in. That's so interesting to say that because I think a lot of guests and a lot of diners they don't they don't think of all of those things together certainly i have never thought about a chef having a connection with the actual decor in the place so it's really interesting to hear you say that obviously whenever it comes to the plate and how the food is positioned and the colors and how it looks in the plate i would say yeah a chef is definitely into that and you're still doing a bit of work in the the space at the moment the workmen are trying to be very quiet in the background (laughs) they're being very good there with their tape measures you're putting in a nice fireplace yeah there's always something going on for the last (laughs) so we've been open about a month but every day there's something going on somewhere um so but we're we're pretty much we're we're 95 percent there um and stuff is kind of like i say there's something happening right behind us right now Well, listen, it's been great to visit and to see it in person. I look forward to coming down some night to dine. You're open... Thursdays to Monday. So we open at 5.30 every evening and the kitchen closes around 9.30, depending on how busy we are. Um, We're not a... We're a flexible kitchen. We we sometimes stay open a little bit later if customers are... Because sometimes people come in and they'll order a bit of food and then they might order a bit more because of the way it works. 
so we're, we, we kind of hang around a little bit but 5.30 to 9.30 Thursday to Monday and we'd be delighted to see you and everyone else you can get us at www.thegoodroom.ie um, and there's an open apple section up there and all our menus are up online as well all the good room menus are up online as well because we've changed the brunch menu recently and we've changed the lunch menu a little bit so um, all those menus are up there for you to look at we've got a little bit on our producers as well um, but uh, yeah we'd love to you know everyone is welcome we'd love to see as many people as possible and uh, give us a go because it's a little bit different to your normal restaurant experience and uh, we're quite proud of what we're offering so uh, we hope you'll come and enjoy it fantastic listen thanks so much for your time today we finish up now and let them get on with their work no problem thank you very much for your time you're listening to the best possible taste with Sharon Noonan to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard from Keith Pickett who is heading up the kitchen in the newly opened Oak and Apple in Adair, County Limerick. And if you're just tuning in now, you might want to catch up with the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. Perfect for the school run. The podcasts are also available to listen to on my website, SharonNoonan.com, as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Next up, we are heading further up the country to County Clare, where the Burnslow Food Festival took place last weekend. A few weeks ago, we had Birgitta Head and Curtain from the Burns Smokehouse in Listenvarna on the show here, and Birgitta shared details about the exciting and diverse programme of events. So I was very excited to make the journey from County Limerick to County Clare on Saturday to have a look around and meet some of the festival participants. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Siobhan from St. Ola Cheese, it's great to meet you here at the Burn Slow Food Festival. Tell us a bit about St. Ola Cheese and how the company started. Well, St. Ola Cheese was first um, made by Megan Derry Gordon, my lovely neighbours, and they started in the early 1980s um, in their farm, which is just down the road from where I have the farm now. And I took it over 20 years ago. So um, St. Ola was a local saint and he's buried over the road at Dicester D Castle. Meg had learned how to, uh, the art of making cheese over in France. And while she was there, she noticed a lot of French cheese are called after um, saints like Saint-Nagour, Saint-Marie. So she came home and said, well, I'm going to give recognition to our local saint, St. Ola. So I had been a primary school teacher myself, but during the summertime I had worked with Meg and Derek. They had just 70 goats at the time. And I really liked you know, what they were doing and kind of giving a name to the locality and I mean I was a girl I was a child of the 70s I was reared on easy singles in Calvita and this was a very exotic cheese for me altogether and although I qualified as a primary school teacher my parents had a farm but they were teachers themselves and they'd obviously leased out the land and in my early 20s when I was teaching up in Galway I realised the importance of land and looking after it and, and the sustainability and I felt it was a pity that one of us six children weren't doing something with the farm and fortunately for me, Meg and Derek were getting older. They hadn't any family themselves, bar their goats, who were their kids. 
they're four-legged kids and I could see that they had a very good strong brand and a very good you know very good cheese so I took a leap of faith and um, took a career break from my paid and pensionable job and then worked with them full-time for a year and learned the art of making St. Ola and from that it was moved up to um, our family farm in 1999 20 years and the business has gone from strength to strength and it is a name you would see in a lot of very prestigious menus throughout the country yes. so all the best chefs are using it yes yeah I was very fortunate I suppose the main reason I mean I was young at the time but I recognised the importance of the brand and the name and I knew they had very even at that time they had very good customers like the likes of um, Kevin Thornton they were selling into Neil's Yard Dairy you know where it was being served in Buckingham Palace so I knew it was very niche with good quality product and at the time they were just producing two cheeses um, the fresh log and fresh croton but over time I have worked very closely with the likes of Eurotox and chefs because our cheese have been mainly available in the food service hotels and restaurants so for me I mean, it's part of the uniqueness of St. Ola. We work very closely with the chefs. And um, like us, they need to change and develop over time. So we have designed and created products specifically for them. And with that, I suppose we've grown the brand. The brand name has always been synonymous with goat's cheese in Ireland, in particular soft goat's cheese. So we've been very fortunate that we've worked closely with, you know, the leading chefs, the Michelin star chefs like JP McMahon and the Leds and Companion. Sure, there's so many of them here in Ireland. We're so lucky, but even Absolutely. in Northern in Ireland and we've always had a very good base of um, British chefs over in um, in England in Scotland through Neil Jarrett Dairy and we're now working with a whole new generation of Irish chefs who are working abroad so it's great that we're able to work in collaboration with them. And you also offer a visitor experience at the farm now. How's that going? Yes, uh, this happened by accident rather than design initially because we had um, signs on the main road, it was more so for delivery trucks uh, coming in. But then invariably, you know, somebody would just stroll in the gate when we'd be sitting, well, at any time of the day or night. And after, after a collective uh, groans over a number of summers, I said, we better need, you know, we should harness this. There's obviously people coming in interested in opening up the farm, you know, for visitors. And um, so then we decided about five years got to actually have you know a designated time and a few days a week where tour groups could actually come and um, so we have that three days a week and then during the summer we've so that's for pre-booked tour groups and but then uh, for this year now we're going to have uh, the first Wednesday of every month and for July and August every Wednesday morning it's an open farm day so there's a tour you can just turn up on the day because we find a lot of you know just one or two people want to come but it's been a whole new dimension and it's been part of our sustainability plan that we don't want to get bigger and better in St. Tola about uh, creating and producing more cheese and pushing up the volume because we're now at capacity and it's still small but it's um, it's about it has always been about farming for me it's about coming back to the farm and making the most of the land and it continues to amaze me the amount of people even Irish people who actually haven't been on farms or never had the opportunity to you know hold a kid or an animal of some farm or you know get a, get a pitchfork and feed them a fork of hay and it's a very a good experience and I suppose it's also getting me back to my education training as a teacher because we get a lot of young families and we get adults so it's kind of it's a wholesome approach of what the farm is about. It sounds like you find it all very rewarding. Yes, I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. <laughs> Rewarding and you have to be half mad to be doing it as well because it is like full time. I mean, you could be at it full time if you wanted, but I get a lot of back out from it. But I suppose when you work with nature and when you work with animals and land, it's just a natural, you know, it's a natural feeling, you know, that comes with you. And of course, you meet such lovely people and interested people and like-minded people and creative people. So, yeah, 
I wouldn't have been at it for this long if I didn't find it rewarding. And I believe your husband's in the food industry also. Yes, yeah, John, my partner, he's involved. He was the brave man because I came from background of teachers coming from, you know, the public sector with, you know, certain holidays and set wages and that. John himself had been a teacher prior to when I met him, but he had been working in the shellfish business, Cush Shellfish, so they grow mussels and oysters in Kinmare Bay. So he'd been working business for a number of years. So when I contemplated leaving my paid and pensionable teaching job, he very much encouraged me to go and follow, you know, what I felt was, you know, in my heart. So it has been, um, I don't know, has been a meeting of the ways or a parting of the water because he's in West Kerry, he's in South Kerry and I'm in Clare and the ferry, we've kept the ferry very busy. Yeah, and I'm totally intrigued by that, you know, the, you have these transatlantic relationships, <laughs> yours is across the Shannon Estuary. Across the Shannon Estuary, yes, but I suppose it keeps the relationship healthy. Absolutely. <laughs> it makes the heart go, go, much go, grow fonder, isn't that the same? So it has worked, and we're both in very much about, you know, nature and the environment and looking after I mean we know we will never go hungry and we have the best of both worlds with, you know, with cheese and with shellfish farming and again as I say working in nature and it's very healthy you know long term there's so much talk nowadays you know about climate change and looking after the future I mean our children are you know are being brought up in this environment all the time and very much appreciate you know the importance of nature because nature is the god we are all you know what happens in nature affects all of us humans well it's great to hear such a success story in the arts and food world in Ireland and we wish you continued success uh, thank you very much and thank you for coming to the burn Jack Crotty from Neighbour Food. This is a new concept. Just explain exactly what it is. Okay. Neighbour Food is an online platform that facilitates the sale of local produce direct to consumers. So local producers in an area set up a shop with us and then we pool all the producers in the area together. Customers log on each week and buy from all the producers in their area and collect it at a weekly collection point. Now, it's kind of nationwide or the dream is for it to be Mm -hmm. nationwide, but you started in Cork? Yes, started in Cork. We actually launched the first uh, neighbour food was in Wales, in Swansea. So we actually started in the UK and we launched in Ireland in December. You have a food background yourself, you're the rocket man. Yeah, I've got a food business in Cork. We've got a, a, a shop on Princess Street and we do two farmers markets in the week. And why did you decide that neighbour food was a good idea? Um, I suppose for definitely a collection of reasons, but m- m- the biggest reason being is a, a better way to try and get food to customers while giving the correct margin back to the producers. So describe a day in Cork when neighbour food takes place. It starts at what time in the morning and what happens? Well, I can tell you maybe I'll take it back a couple of days and take it to the last day of orders. So on Sunday evening is neighbour food night. That's the night when all the customers do their orders. 80% of customers order at 8 o'clock on Sunday night. Then the producers get the orders on Monday morning. So they bake or they cut or they prepare um, or they harvest exactly what's been ordered and already been paid for. And then they bring it to the collection point on Tuesdays before five o'clock when the customers arrive. So it's online shopping in yes. essence. And what are the products that people are buying? Oh my God, everything. I mean, the, the most popular is the most um, kind of essential of things. So vegetables are the most popular and then you have dairy, meat, um, Uh, like cheeses, cakes, like anything that's made locally. We even have kindling and logs for sale. We've got soap, we've wildflowers, you know. And is there any criteria in terms of the product? It just needs to be local. We do allow imported vegetables. 
when they're outside of season. So things like lemons and mangoes and stuff, we allow an organic importer to import and sell those on neighbor food to allow people get the full shop experience because we don't feel like people would like to come to us to get stuff and then have to go to a supermarket. So we're trying to complete the shopping market experience with as much Irish produce as possible. So I go online on a Sunday night Mm -hmm. and I put my order in Mm -hmm. and on a Monday the producers organising my order and your mm-hmm. order and everybody mm-hmm. else's order. The collection doors of the collection would open at 3 o'clock. The producers have two hours to come in and pop all the stuff into the boxes. So in in Cork, for example, all the producers are coming to you in one particular place on a, on a Tuesday night Exactly, in Cork. yeah. So the collection point works as a drop-off point for producers and a collection point for customers. Okay. So my box is there and it says Sharon and mm-hmm. you come in and you put the potatoes into it and somebody else puts the asparagus exactly. into it. Exactly. So the idea is we put more responsibility back to the producers while also giving them more of a margin. So we try and eliminate the things that supermarkets have to do, which is keep shelves filled all the time and keep different, you know, we're, we're saying to producers, if you pack the boxes in there, then you can get double the margin back. So the idea is to try and streamline, I guess, the whole issue of food moving through these networks that it doesn't need to. It's just going directly from the producer to the consumer. Whenever you went out to talk to producers about it, what was the reaction from them? I mean, definitely before we started, there was a little bit of hesitance because, as you can see, it's we've been talking now for a couple of minutes, but we could talk for hours about the complexities of this. So it, it's very complicated in its execution, but incredibly simple in its kind of usage. So once you're set up and once you understand how everything works, from a producer's point of view, I mean, it really is very simple. The producer just checks their email on a Monday morning. There's an order of things, the same way there's an order from a shop or there's an order from a customer or a farmer's market stall. They have the time to prepare it, put it together and drop it off. So once you're set up, it's very simple. So convincing them that it was simple was a little bit tricky, but we got there. It certainly sounds like it. So it's in Cork. Where else in the country is it at the moment? Well, actually operating, we have Cork uh, and the Cork City, and then we have the suburbs Douglas, and we have one rural, one in Watergrass Hill. And then in the next kind of two to three weeks, we open Lizavard, um, we open in Donnerale, and we open in Glasnevin in Dublin. And then there's another five coming in the next two months. So we plan on every two or three months to open another kind of four or five. And in terms of them opening, it's not like you manage them all. There's somebody locally that takes responsibility for yeah, it. Yeah, so there's a local host. So the host in each area is kind of a pioneer of food. So to speak. it can be a person who doesn't work in the food industry or somebody who does. And it kind of works like a secondary job. So you get 10% of the, the total revenue of the market. So you're kind of incentivized to grow the market and to, to get people to buy more uh, produce and bring in new producers. And then that person, the host, manages the handover. So they are probably people that are really passionate about locally sourced in-season ingredients. Yeah, our biggest job as neighbour food really is to try and find those hosts because there's an amazing host in every small community. Maybe they're a publican, maybe they're a local cafe owner, maybe they're uh, someone who smokes salmon, you know, uh, in a community. And they might have a space in their production facility or in their cafe or in their bar that they're willing to give over for two hours on a Tuesday evening to allow producers and customers to exchange products. That's really interesting what you say there about the space, a cafe, a bar. It doesn't have to be a purpose-built, designed no, space. No, it's about occupying spaces that are not being utilised properly at that time, you know. Um, churches are another example of, of okay, a space that we're, we're cool. looking at trying to use. With regards to the customers and 
the, the people that are buying it. How do you get the word out to them? How do you get the message out to them that there is one in their local community? I mean, we're going to be trying to encourage people to go. At the moment, we'd like to open them before we start encouraging people to go looking for them. But like in Cork, we did localised promotions in Cork. We did different types of social media. We did uh, plenty. We were lucky enough that we inspired a bit of attention from other kind of media outlets. So we got a lot of newspaper articles and some mentions on radio and things like that. So that worked really well in Cork. We hope to continue doing that as we expand throughout the country. And then hopefully once we have a bit of a network going, we can start encouraging nationally people to start engaging with your local one. So if somebody in West Limerick is listening now tonight and they think, gosh, that's something I'd like to get involved in, what's the next step for them? Well, maybe going on to neighbourfood.ie. And if you'd like to be a customer, then go on neighbourfood.ie and type in where you're living into the search bar. We save then where each person searches. So we start building a map of who's looking for a neighbour food and we can start kind of focusing on opening them there. Otherwise, um, you could become a host. The best way to get one near you is to become a host. That's also on the site. And will you support them at the start in terms of advising them? And For and sure. We build each market with the host. So each time we do a new one, we learn new ways of doing it better. So we provide them with all the tools they need to find producers in their area. We pass producers their way if they're missing any of them. We give them marketing materials like flyers and posters. And then we also help them through the stages of actually building up their, their member, their, their kind of customer list. Okay, great. Listen, a great concept. I'm really intrigued by it. I'll be keeping an eye out for one in West Limerick. I hope there's somebody listening that might decide yeah, to do hopefully. it. Great to talk to you about you it today too. and best of luck with it. Thanks. My name is Kira Toomey and I'm here on behalf of Calor Gas. Calor Gas are delighted to be sponsoring the event here today for the second year. We feel very privileged to be associated with such a fantastic showcase of local produce. Calor is now producing a new fuel called BioLPG, which is 100% renewable fuel. This works exactly like regular Calor, but is made from renewable sources. It's an ideal fuel for rural businesses who are aiming to become more sustainable and reduce their carbon footprint. If you'd like to learn more about BioLPG, please check our website, www.calorgas.ie, or check our Facebook page where we'll have some videos um, from some of our customers who are using BioLPG. Hi, my name is uh, Connor Coughlin and I'm the founder of Black Twist Hard Coffee. So Black Twist is a cold brewed coffee liquor that brings speciality coffee and Irish whiskey together but without all the sweetness that you typically get in a coffee liqueur. So what we do is source speciality grade coffee from Kenya, roast it, grind it up and then cold brew that coffee in a mix of grain and malt Irish whiskey for seven days. So. The neat product, I say it's for people who like their coffee black and their whiskey neat. There's a lot of character in there. Uh, but it's also used a lot in cocktails, so ones that you can make very simply at home. Um, so you can add milk and make like a boozy iced coffee with it as well. So you can basically use it like an alcohol espresso is what I say to people. And depending on how you like your coffee, you can make an alcohol uh, drink with Black Twist that suits your tastes. So at the moment um, we're stocked primarily in independent uh, stores, so we list them on our website which is www.blacktwist.com um, or as I say to people just ask your, your nearest off license uh, if they have it and if they're an independent they usually do. So I encourage people if they have any questions on how to use it um, to just drop me a message through the website or on Instagram, all those links are on our website. 
and um, I suppose the most popular co coffee cocktail at the moment is espresso martinis so it's also an all-in-one solution for making that at home all you need is black twist and a bit of coffee and you can make an espresso martini at home so in terms of awards then yes we've won uh, two stars in the great taste awards and we won a silver in Blasna Hair in the Irish uh, Food and Drinks Awards as well. So we hope to enter some more international ones coming up soon as well. Um, but yeah, the awards are a good kind of indicator of, of the quality as well. So we talk a lot about the concept, but the quality obviously is very important to people as well. And the awards are kind of justification of that as well, you know. Now Melanie, great, Hello, great to see a Kerry doing? woman up in County Clare. I know, I keep trying to get out of Kerry. <laughs> Selling your award winning hot jellies, how's it going? Right. It's very good, great great array of people here, great producers. How many La do you have in the range now? Um, at this stage I have six and I'm, because the winter has gone, I'm planning on another one. Uh, I've been testing it through the winter and that's what I do when it's quieter. Uh, so I'm working on it, but it, might, it won't be out for another few months, I'm still kind of testing it out. Just remind the listeners about your the brand, the Hearties okay. brand. It's Hearties and we're based in Tralee and it's a range of savoury jellies similar to chutneys or relishes you use them the same way with your cold meats and especially your cheeses and of course here we have some fabulous clear cheeses as well so it's working um, and I have a little bit of innovative ones like the apple with sage and chilli in there for your more pork dishes and that kind of thing, sausages um, hams and then I have more traditional ones like the mint jelly and the cranberry jelly um, in the super values and other really fine food shops around Ireland and uh, almost all over Kerry at this stage. How many years are you going now? I started in 2007 but I'm officially started the business in 2009 because I was testing the market first. So, so 10 nine, years this 10 year? Years. Big yeah, party yeah. celebration now. I hadn't even thought about it. <laughs> I figured you'll have to start thinking I, about to, it. Yeah, I figure I'm so far in this stage. I can't come out. I can't go back, and I'm only, I have to go forward. So I know I keep forgetting. Well, as a producer that has been in the business for ten mm. years now, what advice would you give to some of the other producers that are here today that are maybe only starting out? Starting out, um, I would say first of all, get out on the road, start talking about your product, um, believe in it, and believe in yourself. And don't think it's going to be an overnight success. It usually is after 25 years, but not. You've yeah, only another 15 to I know, go now. Yeah, exactly. No, get out because you, you, it's not just about the product. It's about the networking. It's about the people. I've no, I know a lot of people here more than I thought so today, but then there's loads I haven't met before and I've wanted to. Um, but yeah, just get out on the road and start talking. And I, more than I think it's great when you do come upon people that do know you and do know the product because that instills confidence in the other people that haven't come across it. Oh, yeah, it does. Like this morning now, somebody was talking to me and she said, oh, sure, I get them in Tipperary, but I'll get them from you here today. And I was like, oh, we're in Tipperary. And it's a great, it's, it's what makes the day when you're out there and it is hard work and you're the only, sometimes the only curious person out and you go, am I crazy doing this? But you have to love it. You have to love being on the road. Um, but you get a boost like that, that keeps you going. And you get a boost when you can work, uh, what is it, cooperation, when you work with your competitors. And when I say my competitors, I'm talking the cheeses, the meats, all that kind of thing. And you get great ideas. And I think you do have to be a little bit mad. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting madder as the years go on. 
because if I if I wasn't mad, I wouldn't be in this business. <laughs> but you have to love it. Well, you congratulations on ten years. Thank That's you very much. a tremendous milestone. I know. Now you have to frighten me. I didn't. Yeah, you have to. I, I don't even think the about it. The next time I'm years. talking to you, now, I want to be hearing about the celebrations. Well, if they're on, you'll be at them. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I'll even better. I'm so glad I mentioned it now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, enjoy the day here I in Liston Barna. Thanks very much. Always good to see you. Thanks a million. Congratulations on your your product. You were on the the television there recently, so people might be familiar with the Iron yeah. Island seaweed pesto. How's it going for you? Yeah, really good. We were on this program with Sonia Lynn and Strictly Business, and um, she really helped us out with just getting the branding right and pushing sort of the fact that you know our whole process is done out in the Aran Islands, from the harvesting through to the making the pesto and everything. So. It was really, really helpful spending that time with her and also just the opportunity to get that extra attention from the television has uh, been really great. We've had lots of people um, calling in, lots of interest in the product as a result of that. So, Because I think a lot of people, when an opportunity comes around to do something on TV, it can be a bit risky. You don't know what way it's going to be edited to make you look, but you came across absolutely brilliantly and I think it definitely was great for the product yeah it was it was definitely in the back of my mind that um, that, that was the case uh, you know that you could be if you didn't take the advice that these um, people who probably knew a bit more about small businesses than we did if you didn't take their advice you could look a bit silly on the television and um, also the other benefit of it for us was it put a big deadline on you have to get something done by the time this uh, filming is finished you know we had to have something to show if we hadn't really moved on we wouldn't look great either so it was really good um, motivation for us to push on a little bit from our wholesale business and try to get the retail side of the, of the business up and running. Yeah. Well, tell me about the products you have here today. You have your pesto and you also have, is that dulse and sea mix? Yeah, we've got um, an Atlantic wakame, a dulse, a sea lettuce and a sea mix all milled into a three millimeter flake, um, which is just about the same size as most of the herbs that you would buy, dried herbs that you would buy. So it can be used in that sort of medium as a in addition to a seasoning mix or a crumb for fish or something like that. So, so yeah, we have the pesto that was um, that's a fresh product that we feel is more accessible. But this is something that people who are into baking or um, into their cooking can add seaweed in quite an easy format as well into their usual diet, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we're blessed with this product, this ingredient here in Ireland because we have it in an abundance and we probably have been underusing it. Yeah, I think we've got, um, I think Ireland has got some really beautiful clean waters and it's got big tides. Um, it's got all the right uh, conditions to grow great seaweed and, uh, you know, a lot of people up the West Coast have been brought up with it in their diet, but I suppose it faded a bit over the last couple of decades and maybe it's um, there's a growing awareness of it again which is which is really cool. It's definitely time for seaweed now I think. Yeah yeah um, I'm always really interested when I talk to Irish people they've either got when they try seaweed they've got memories um, either of when they were a kid coming out to the west coast and trying a bit of dillisk um, when they were on their holidays or otherwise they've got this horrible memory of being forced to drink corrigan when they had a cold and it's really put a lot of people off the idea you know so well if people want to find out more about it what's your web address 
Um, we're on uh, Blanamara, which is the flower of the sea. Um, Blanamara, if you search that on Google, you'll see our Instagram and our website and Facebook and Twitter and all that sort of thing. So. Fantastic. Well, thanks yeah. so much for talking to me about it. All right, it's a pleasure. We'll see you again. Hi, Darren. How are we keeping? I'm good. How are you? Gosh, your luck, living the dream. This is a product I'm familiar with because it's available in Saunas, our local health food <laughs> shop. You were there recently, I, I think, was. doing a tasting. Yeah, Magic Mayan Chocolate. Magic Mayan Chocolate. So, ultimately, we're all about the cocoa bean. Right. Uh, everything comes down to the cocoa bean. We bring in our beans from Peru. Um, we've chosen a specific um, Criollo bean, uh, which has kind of a bite of acidity, um, caramel notes, and uh, is a little bit fruity. Uh, we make bean to bar, so we bring in the beans from Peru, we grind them down, a little bit of coconut sugar, a little bit of additional uh, cocoa butter, and that's pretty much all that goes into our chocolate bars. So there's none of this glass and a half in every glass and a half of milk in every bar. So it's dairy free? <laughs> dairy, gluten, and soya free, yeah. And organic? Uh, it is, we're certified organic. That must be a huge selling point. Um, well, it's more important um, than a selling point. Um, buying, something you're passionate about. It is. About. It's something I'm passionate about. I mean, you know, we, we, we only have one planet that we live on, and if we treat it like dirt, it's going to kick us back. So um, I, I always buy fair trade and organic. It, things have to be fair. There has to be an even keel. Um, and the chocolate, it's raw, and uh, so that basically means that the cocoa beans are not um, over-processed, and it helps to maintain all the natural goodness of the cocoa bean uh, from the start all the way into the finish. So it's full of magnesium, chromium, potassium, zinc, contains more calcium gram for gram than dairy does. Uh, and it's also full of antioxidants. And here's the lovely thing. One of those antioxidants is called uh, flavanols. And flavanols work as a natural appetite suppressant, which is why you'll only ever eat uh, small quantities of my chocolate, because you actually feel full after a very small quantity. Uh, great for the people buying the chocolate bars. Obviously not great from my sales point of view, but it's not all about sales. It's about providing a good product to people. And you have a different range of flavours. Yeah, so um, at the moment we have a range of 12 flavours uh, with a uh, sugar-free version coming out uh, with, made with chicory root fibre and a little bit of stevia. Again, keeping it all natural. And um, and then I also got into, I've, I've started to do like uh, bonbons, uh, artistic sweets and kind of, it's great because it allows me to make the chocolate bars, which makes money. And then I can do the bonbons, which uh, I love. So I get, I get both sides. What's the most popular flavor? Um, at this event, because it's seaweed themed, our um, Atlantic magic with salt and seaweed is walking out the door. What's your personal favourite? Oh, that depends on my mood. I'm a mood eater. Um, kind of early in the day, I'll go for a small amount of 85%. Uh, later in the day, maybe I always almond uh, with a small glass of red wine. But that's it. <laughs> well, as you said there, it is a seaweed theme today. And was that something that you came up with that you thought would be quite novel and different? Or do we see more of that in chocolate these days? Um... I have not seen a whole lot of seaweed in chocolate, but the lovely thing about chocolate is it will take almost anything you throw at it. You could put balsamic vinegar into chocolate and it would be amazing. Uh, so the seaweed, to me, because you know we're Clare-based, we have access to super quality um, organic uh, Irish seaweed. I said, why not? We'll give it a try and see how it works. Salt and chocolate are a natural combination anyway, so I think the seaweed kind of adds just that extra dimension, and it really takes you on a journey from chocolate to salt and then all the way into the umami flavours of the seaweed. 
and I said there you're readily available in Newcastle West in Saunas. <laughs> in where, Saunas, yeah. Where else can people get hold of Okay, the so Limerick, um, we've got most of the health food stores, uh, Eats of Eden, Nature's Hand and Dargan Health Food. Uh, and like you said, Newcastle West in Saunas. Um, and then, in fact, most good health food stores uh, and fine food stores around the country. I have about 300 stockists around the country, so. Hi, Sean, how are you? Good, thanks, Karen. Great to see you again in the Burren with your Cratlow sheep's cheese. We've been making a speciality sheep's cheese on our family farm in Cratlow for the last 31 years. And uh, we're passionate, we believe in what we're doing, and uh, it's very easy to digest. It's suitable for people that may be off dairy products. But, you know, a lovely cheese with a light wine, salad, crackers, or a cheese board. And we use a traditional recipe from February to September to make the cheese on our family farm. Yes, you're very specific about the time of year that you make it. Uh, absolutely, and also the, the cheese. We, we mature cheese only from May and June and July. That's when the sheep, when the grass is at its best. And, uh, um, you know, we don't make cheese, at the, we don't mature cheese from the end of lactation because it, the composition of the milk changes as the season goes by. And that affects the flavour. And, and that affects the flavour of the cheese. And you have a couple of different types yeah, of flavours. We, we, we have mild and we have mature. And we have one or two others in the pipeline. Excellent. Which one's more popular? Uh, the mature. We, the, uh, generally for children, they prefer the mild, but to, to, for anybody that's used to cheese, generally, generally, they prefer the mature because it's aged. It has a different flavour, it has a lovely aftertaste, uh, and uh, uh, it, it has a taste that lingers. It must be nice to be here today in your home the, county. Yeah, absolutely, it's lovely to be here, uh, and uh, I, I, I think as the years go by, there's more and more appreciation of what we do. Uh, people are, are are now conscious of home produced and they're also conscious of supporting locally produced but there's the whole environment and there's the whole health issues as well. And you are available nationwide because yeah, I've seen are. you in Northern Ireland. Thank you, we are, we are. I've only recently done a promotion in St George's Market and I have one in, in Sires coming up shortly. And does Indie Food have you? They do, Indie Food has us as well. Um, and uh, it, 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 you know, it, it's creating an awareness of our ch- brand in Northern Ireland, and uh, we're delighted that, that they're carrying Fantastic. our cheese. Listen, great to see you today. Uh, Best of and luck. And you too. And thank you for coming down. You're listening to the best possible taste with Sharon Noonan. to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was in Listonvarna, County Clare at the Burren Slow Food Festival and earlier in the programme we heard from Chef Keith Piggott who is heading up the kitchen in the newly opened Oak and Apple in Adair, County Limerick. If you're just tuning in now you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available
available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks for tuning in and to my guests, Keith Piggott and everyone at the Burren Slow Food Festival who took the time to talk to me. I'll be back next week. So until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.